invite Scott to join us up front. Good to see you, buddy. Good morning. I'll hand it off to you. Good morning. Thank you. All right. All right. You'll forgive me, I hope, if I have to cough. Okay, I got a cold two days ago, and so it's going to be real real here in just a few minutes. So expectations, as I was preparing this message for us today, expectations kind of are, are a funny thing. How they shape our perspective and, and possibly our responses to situations. In particular, I'm thinking about when we get a, an email or a text message and, and we read these. Don't we tend to read these kind of with assumptions already made? For, for instance, not too long ago, I, I, got a, I got an email from my boss that just said, can we meet? Okay, so what's going on inside me at that point? I'm thinking of, okay, well, I, I just had this event, or I, I just spoke, and, and is, is this going to be criticism? Am I going to be fired? And, and, or is this going to be praise? So there, there's all sorts uh, of different things going in on, in, on inside of me as I think of, okay, do I need to go ready to defend myself, or do I need to go ready to, uh, ready to receive some praise? You know, if, if, if you get a text message from somebody that says, we need to talk, okay, th think of all the different ways that our expectations about this text can, can lead to different responses. What if, what if you and your spouse or your significant other, boyfriend, girlfriend, what if you just had a fight the, the night before? Right? And sometime the next morning you get, you get the message, we, we need to talk. Okay, now, now the anxiety starts to build. Oh no, you know, what, what, what's going to happen? Or, or what, if, what, what if, again, your spouse had a doctor's appointment? They were, they were feeling some sort of pain. And you get a text message, we need to talk. Now you're filled with maybe some fear or some questions or anxiety about what's, what's going on. Or what if, what if they had a job interview? Something they were really excited about. We need to talk. And now you're filled with, oh, expectation and excitement. And maybe there's going to be some life change. How we have our expectations affects our perceptions. And it's also going to affect our decisions and our behaviors after that. We're going to look at the, the, the story of Jonah that, that Nicole just read for us. And in Jonah, we're, we tend to be more familiar with the first three chapters, right? The story of Jonah, we're familiar that Lord's, the, the, the Lord says to Jonah, I need you to go to Nineveh, I need you to, to preach repentance to the Ninevites, and Jonah runs away. And uh, in, in chapter 1 of the book of Jonah, when you get to verse 17, you see that, that, that Jonah's on a ship, he's trying, to, he's trying to sail away from God, which, by the way, if I'm trying to run away from God... Getting on a wooden boat uh, is not the way that I'm going to do it, okay? Because boats sink and things like that. So the, Jonah's on a boat, he's in a storm, and, and he decides that he, the only way to, get to, to save the people on this boat is he is going to have them throw him overboard. So we're kind of familiar with that. And, and how does the Lord save Jonah in this? He provides a giant fish. And the fish swallows Jonah like, like Pac-Man, and Jonah's inside the, inside the fish for three nights. And then you get to chapter 3, and, and Jonah finally makes it to Nineveh. God makes him go there. And, and Jonah half-heartedly preaches this message of repentance. And, and the, the, the city of Nineveh, this giant city, is, 
is overwhelmed by their response. And the, the Bible says that to a, to a man, to a woman, the, the people hear this message and their hearts were ready for it, and they, and they turn to the Lord. So I think we're familiar with, with those, at least with the, with the fish part. But now we get to this uncomfortable part of the story. The story that kind of ends in a weird way with a weird question from, from God. What, what do we do with Jonah chapter 4? With Jonah sitting in the desert, sitting underneath a plant, and then there's a worm, and, then, and God's talking to Jonah. How do we apply this to, to our walk with Christ? This uncomfortable part of the story, in, in my estimation, is actually the part that should impact us most. Because this is God leading Jonah to examine himself. He's leading Jonah to examine the expectations that he has. Why is Jonah angry? Why, does he, why would he rather die in this, in this moment? I mean, he just had this amazing success. I tell you, as somebody who has worked in church for a long time, if 120,000 people repented after I, after I gave a, a sermon, I'd consider that a job well done. And I'd be excited. I'd go to the Outback and, and, and have steak. Okay, that, that would be, I wouldn't go sit in the desert and build myself a shelter and get a sunburn. That just would not be the way I'd react. So we're going we're gonna to walk through this, this chapter with Jonah and see how this applies to our life. So going back to Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. But, jo but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. What's the this here? It's the, all of the Ninevites coming to repentance and, and wanting to follow the Lord. And, and he became angry. So where we pick up in chapter 4, Jonah is, is very mad at God. God continues to do what God does, which is make himself known. But for Jonah, this wasn't happening in the way that, that he wanted it to happen. Despite this success, Jonah was filled with anger and probably thoughts of how unfair and how cruel and, and, and how he just was not a fan of God at this, this moment. And these were coming from his expectations. Expectations are, are what we deem to be important. What is going to make us feel right? For instance, when we get married, right, or when you enter into a relationship, you're filled with expectations, right? That's what gets us to take the vows of marriage in the first place, are, are the expectations of, of life's bliss that's going to happen, the, the mutual happiness that we are going to experience when, we, when we're in this relationship. That, that despite everybody else's experience of the ups and downs and the trials that sometimes happen in marriage, my marriage is going to be a honeymoon, 24-7. Right? People enter in with that. And then the moment something disappointing happens, the moment this person that we're looking to to make us happy, as soon as they don't, you think, hang on. Was this the one? It, was this the right decision? Is this the, is this the right person? See, once your expectations get contradicted, this affects your thinking. And, and Jonah was filled with false expectations of God. I know this happened in my relationship with God. I was, I was raised Catholic. And I am not going to disparage Catholicism at all here. I'm just telling you the imprint that, that my upbringing left on me. 
the way, the way that I was raised, the way I experienced God in Catholicism is that God wanted me to perform. There were certain hoops that I needed to jump through, and if I did that right, God was pretty much going to leave me alone. So, so what that led is in my spiritual life, later when I began to take God seriously, and I, I began to, 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 uh, to, to surrender my, my life one bit at a time to, to God, instead of boasting about my weakness, as the Apostle Paul said that we're spo supposed to do, this led me to hide my weakness. Right? Because because I need to I need to look okay. I also lived with this idea that my forgiveness was earned. Okay? It wasn't it wasn't given to me regardless. It was something that 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 I had to earn. So if God asked me to do something, I much like Jonah went kicking and screaming, because in my mind, because of my expectations of who God was, God was asking me to do this because I wasn't good enough. Because I had failed in some way. And I needed to take the next step to earning his involvement in my life. That is how I operated with God. And, and, and there's lots of, of expectations that we have of God. You know, we, some of us operate that God is, God is an angry God. And he's just looking for every opportunity to come down on me that he can. Or that God wants to control me that I can't really do what I want, or I can't make my own decisions, that, that God wants to treat me like a puppet. Or we think God, his role in my life is to make me happy. You know, so when I'm not happy, then something's wrong, something's wrong with God. And, and a lot of this comes from our prior experiences, or bad teaching, or, you know, we... Uh, uh, bad parental figure, you know, where, wherever that comes from, there are lots of these... Uh, lots of these false expectations that we go in with God that impact, uh, that impact our relationship with him. But here's the, here's the truth, that God's not moved by your expectations. God, God is not trying to prove himself. God, God knows who he is, and he acts consistently. And so we try to manipulate God. Right? We say, God, if you answer this prayer, I will follow you always. Right? I'm going to go to the, the convent, I'm going to become a nun, or I'm going to become a priest. I will devote my life to you so completely and full, fully if you, if you answer this prayer. And what we really want is we want God to make us a better version of who we already are. We want to we be able to continue acting the way that we're acting and doing the things that we're doing and just get better results. If we're honest with ourselves, when we, when we enter into Jesus, I, I think for, for, for hundreds of people, that's how we enter in. Yeah, I, I just want to get better results. And, and Paul writes in Galatians chapter 5, this is verse 17. Uh, I don't think it's going to be on the screen, but I, I wanted to read this to you. He writes, For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit. So when Paul, Paul writes about the flesh, he's talking about our desires, uh, what, what we are looking for when we are pursuing wholeness apart from God. The flesh desires what's contrary to the spirit, and the spirit desires what's contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other, so that you're not able to do whatever you want. See, and Jonah does not desire to do what God wants him to do. He did not want to go to Nineveh. And that's why he hopped a boat and he was off to some, somewhere else. 
And that's why when he was done, he didn't stay and rejoice and, and, and try to teach the people further. He left the city and went and, and sat outside to see what God wanted to do. Because Jonah is still hoping that God's going to rain down some fire on these awful, awful Ninevites. You see, God is, is not going to bless your brokenness. That's, that's not the business that he is in. So a question for all of us to consider this morning is, what does God want you to do that you don't want to do? What, what part of your life, what area of your life have you said, this is off limits, God. I am not changing this no matter what. What in your life are you going to just keep trying to do your own way? This is the part of your life that God is, is knocking on the door trying to address. You can't have it both ways. You can't have one, you can't have one foot in, in your true self in Christ, and then the other foot in, in, your, in your false self, your old nature, the flesh, and expect that that's going to be a, a conflict-free, carefree way to live. As we, as we get to know God more and more, as we go deeper in our relationship with him, as we, as we become more aware of who he is, he is going to keep revealing more about what is not true in you, about those things that you are clinging to. And this is right what Jonah is experiencing. This is why he is angry. He is going through this conflict that Paul writes about between he wants what he wants and knowing what God wants. And so we continue in the story in verses 2 and 3. says, he, meaning Jonah, prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to, to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. So Jonah, Jonah says that he has this knowledge of, the, of God. But he's not operating in this knowledge. If he really believed these things uh, about God, then he, he would have gone and been obedient right away. But these, but these truths about God were not part of his identity. They weren't part of who he was. And I love the last line there where Jonah says, Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. That's exactly what God's going to do. right? Not in the physical way, but in the spiritual way. And that's what he does for each and every one of us in Christ. We die to who we already are so that we can live and we can have freedom and we can have rest in, in who Jesus is. See, Jonah's unrealistic expectations of how God was going to operate came from his false view. Jonah is an Israelite. And so as an Israelite, he operated under the assumption that God had chosen the Israelites, that they were, they were his special people. And because that's what he operated on, and that's, that's the truth, but because he operated that way, that became his identity. Rather than the God who made this promise to the Israelites, it was, I am special because I am part of this chosen people. See, he made, he made a good thing the ultimate thing. 
So if, if God showed the Ninevites compassion, if God was indeed inviting the Ninevites to be part of, 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 of repentance and, and being part of the people that he showed grace and compassion to, then that was going to detract from the specialness of Israel. And that was going to diminish how Jonah, how Jonah felt. So instead of the Israelites being chosen so that God's goodness and God's compassion and the light of who God is could shine in the world and others could be attracted to him, instead of that happening, it became kind of a us-against-them mentality. A we're special, you're not, nah, 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 nah. You know, so we're going to stick out our tongue at you. And, and before we get too judgmental or high and mighty and say, how could they do that? We really, we do the same thing with lots of stuff, right? Where good stuff becomes ultimate stuff. You know, where, where we want to be at church every week because we want to, we want to, we want to worship, we want to look, learn more, but then that being at church, church attendance becomes the ultimate thing. And I know that I'm, I'm worthy because I'm at church every week. Or I go to every Bible study, or I go to every small group, and I never miss, so that makes me better than other people. See, a good thing becomes an ultimate thing. We do that with our relationship. You know, God designed us for relationships, but when, when that relationship, that good thing that God made us for becomes the ultimate thing, that I know that I am whole, I know that I am complete because I am in a relationship, and that becomes the ultimate thing. And good things becoming ultimate things comes from that conflict that, that I read from in Galatians chapter 5, where the flesh wants opposite what the spirit, the spirit wants opposite what the flesh wants, and they're in conflict each other, with each other. See, expectations, they will reveal your source of significance. The things that we hold as our values, they will reveal what you are living for. How you judge what is right and wrong in your decisions and in your behaviors and in the way you relate to others, that feeds your sense of identity. And because going to Nineveh and preaching repentance and the possibility that they were going to grasp on and say, yes, we want to follow the Lord, because that was going to, to lead Jonah to feel less of himself, his decision was, I'm going to Tarshish. I'm going nowhere near Nineveh. I'm going to hop on this boat, and I am going to get as far away from God as I can. Because in this case, obeying was not consistent with his sense of significance. You, know, you can go all the way back, very beginning of the Bible, this pattern starts. Right? Adam and Eve... After, after they did what they wanted, and after they ate the, the fruit of the, of the tree that God said, please don't do this, I'm begging you, that this is the one thing that you're not, not to do. When they heard God's footsteps in the garden, instead of running to him like they had before, they ran into the woods. They tried to hide. Because now their, their source of significance was not in, in God and being an image bearer anymore, it was in I'm doing my own thing. So if we're going to step into all that God has for us, we need to examine our view of God 
and, and begin to, to make it right, begin to, to work that out. We've got to exchange the lies that we believe, the expectations, the perceptions that we have that are not true. We need to exchange them for truth. You know, from my own, my, my own example, where I thought forgiveness was earned, I really had to dig down and why that was so that the truth that I knew, that grace is a state I live in, not just a one-time experience, so that could take root in my heart. If, when I left, the, when I left the, 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 the things unaddressed about where that false expectation of God came from, the idea of grace was really foreign to me. Even though I could tell other people about grace, and even though I knew what it was, and I, and I knew the reality of it, I wasn't able to live in the truth of it. The, the truth that we have should be rooted in, in the gospel. right? And the, and the, the gospel, uh, this was part of something I, I talked about long, long ago in a galaxy far, far away when I came to Restoration. The, the, the gospel summarized in four words. Okay, I got this from a guy named Tim Keller. It's creation. Everything was created good by God. Fall. But then mankind began to live for himself instead of for God. Redemption. God loves you enough so that you do not stay far from him. And then restoration. God wants to make everything new and good, good again. That's the truth of who God is. God is the God who pursues, the God who initiates, the God, the God who loves and gives grace not based on what we've done or who we are, but because of who, who he is. So our image comes from Jesus. Jesus is the one that walked around and lived this out before us. Here's a, here's a little interaction between, <clears throat> between Jesus and his disciples. Philip says to, to, to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. So the disciples, they still had no clue for a large part of the time that they were walking with Jesus, what was really going on. The disciples were still living, wanting a, a military Messiah, somebody that was going to free Israel and make them great again. And Jesus answered this, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? See, if, if we don't get our view of God from the gospel, and, and Jesus came as the image of the invisible God, almost, then we're pursuing a God of our own making. On the one hand, it could be like me, a God who will only forgive based on me earning it, all the way to the other end of a, a God that is going to make me happy and isn't going to demand anything from me. Those are, God. Those are gods that we have made in our own image. And that's, that's an idol. So we, can, we have this ability. We can make God smaller. Or we can make God bigger. We can make God obey us. When our expectations of that God we've made in our own image are not met, we end up with frustration and disappointment. And we end up sitting somewhere in the sun like Jonah, angry and frustrated. So continuing on with, with, our, with our guy here, Jonah, in, in verse 4, But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? 
Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. So, to me, this is, this is the significant moment of this story. Where, where God is now confronting Jonah and confronting this anger and, and why are you sitting out here in, in the desert? And he says, have you any right to be angry? He's saying, why are you judging? Why are you living in judgment? This is not the, not the way of God. The disciples of Jesus evidence this as well. They're walking along, and Jesus had asked the disciples to, to send message ahead, to, to, to make some preparations as he was entering Jerusalem. And some Samaritans had said, no, we're not, we're not helping you. We don't, we, don't help, uh, we don't help Jews. And the disciples turned to Jesus and said, should we call down fire from heaven and destroy them? See, for, for the disciples, their expectation was that God was going to lay waste to all, all of his enemies. They were living in judgment. This is, a, this is from Romans. This is the beginning of chapter 2. It says, You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. God's judgment's based on truth. But Jonah's judgment against the Ninevites was based on himself. The disciples' judgment of, 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 the, of the Samaritans and wanting to call down fire was based on their false expectations. Okay? Our judgments are based on pride. And that's why we are told, don't judge. Because we base our judgments on ourselves. And judgment's easier, right? It's easier to judge another because if, if not, if compassion, compassion means you got to roll up your sleeves, right? You got to get dirty and you got to walk with, with somebody through their brokenness. Judging it is way easier. But Paul says in Romans, when you judge, you're forgetting that you're just like everybody else. Before entering into Christ, you were doing the exact same things. While you're in Christ, you're fighting that same battle as God is, is working out salvation in you. There's some, there's some elements between Jonah and Jesus that, that are similar. There's some foreshadowing there. If, if, when you're reading through the whole story, it's four chapters, it's not, it's not, it's not too long. In chapter 1, you see Jonah's asleep on the boat while it's being tossed from wave to wave. And there's a picture of Jesus doing that same thing when he's with his disciples. And they're fretting, and Jesus is asleep, and they're wondering what's going on. And Jonah decides that he's going to sacrifice himself and jump into the water so that he can save the people on the boat, much like Jesus uh, sacrificed himself. Jonah spent three days in a fish, okay, which is probably an uncomfortable and smelly place to be. And then he was vomited up on shore, which is always a fun word to read in the Bible. He was vomited up on shore, so there's a picture of resurrection there in, in, that we see in Jesus. And then Jonah was called to preach the message of repentance, which is exactly the same thing Jesus did. But here is the key difference between the two. When Jesus looked at the crowds, and he saw them running around. He felt compassion for them. He saw that they were like sheep without a shepherd. See, when we judge, it comes from us trying to prove our worthiness and wanting to feel superior. 
And, and we make demands, we make expectations on other people and on ourselves, and, and that's, the, that's judgment. But when, when we're rooted in Christ, we remember we're not different. We're, we're all made from the same stuff. And we have compassion come out of that. So Jonah's heels are dug in. And he's sitting there under, under the shelter that he's made, and he's waiting to see if God's going to change his mind. I'm going to wait, because he's waiting for the fire to, to rain down. But, but, but God answers by not, by, by not answering. He doesn't send down, down fire. Jonah is wanting God to conform to his image. And now God is going to take on the task of confronting Jonah. Jonah creates his own shelter. He's got his own sense of security going on. To keep out the sun, he's made this, I don't know what he made it out of, but he's made this flim, flimsy little shelter. And that's just like what we do. Right? We have this image that we portray. This is a, the shelter that we retreat behind so, so that God and other people can't see who we really are. And we want what we want. We feel entitled. Right? It's, it's, it's very much like the, the husband who, who's not having his expectations in marriage met and says, you know what? It's okay if I look at porn. Okay? I'm going to get what I want. I'm going to create my own sense of shelter. It, it's, it's like the wife who, who is out with her friends and, and gossips and puts her husband down and doesn't, doesn't build him up because maybe she's not getting what she wants. And so she feels entitled and she creates her own sense of shelter. Jonah has created a sense of shelter because God wasn't measuring up. And so we quit going to church, right? We stop praying. We... We, we, get, we get more involved in being entertained. We stop reading the Bible because we're trying to get God's attention. And what we're, trying, we're trying to make God notice. And, and God does notice. This is the beautiful part of this story. Even though Jonah's got this temper tantrum going on, even though Jonah's built his own, his own wall of protection between him and God, God is still initiating. And God is still doing that with us. Because he longs, he longs for restoration. Like this is, to me, this is the mystery. Why does God long for restoration with me so bad that he is going to be involved with me step by step? I mean, yeah, we can say it's his love for me, but why? Where, where does that come from? Redemption is his initiative. And that's on display in the story with Jonah. And so we get down a little further in the story to verse 6. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die, and he said, It would be better for me to die than to live. See, God is providing here, but it's not for the purpose Jonah expects. When this plant grows up over his head, he gets happy, because Jonah's getting what he wants. He's getting the, the attention. He is special. God is taking care uh, of his needs. But God is trying to shape Jonah. God is trying to get Jonah to look in the mirror and see his selfishness. And so... God is faithful in all circumstances. And even though the worm comes and it chews the root of this plant, and the plant withers and dies, even though Jonah's not getting what he wants, 
God is demonstrating his faithfulness. When the, when the scorching east wind comes up, I would guess that God is thinking, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. Right? You ever said that? I mean, I said that. I spanked my daughter three times. I'm not a huge spanker, but there were three times that this, this had to happen. And I'll tell you, every time, the first time I did it, I had to go cry because I was like, I can't believe I just did that. It hurt me more than it hurt her. And then the second time, before I spanked her, I said, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. and made me laugh because my parents said the same thing. And, you know, what goes around comes around, I guess. So God is disciplining Jonah. God disciplines those that he loves. He's not disciplining out of hatred. He's not disciplining out of, out of wrath. He's disciplining out of love. You know, some circumstances that we face, they are the result of our brokenness, the world's brokenness. You know, when, when Jonah was on the, on the boat and it was looking like it was going to sink, that, that resulted because of Jonah, with his bad decisions. But some, some circumstances are our God trying to get us to address what we're clinging on to that is not, that is not him. And, and what's going on right now is God doing that with Jonah. Do you know why you're facing this sun and this scorching wind, Jonah? It's because of your self-centeredness. It's because you're focused on you rather than being focused on, on God. And so here's the reality. Wherever, whatever season you are in life, wherever you are, God's highest concern is helping you to experience him more fully. And I want you to know, I, I say this, I, I'm not trying to just give you some spiritual mumbo-jumbo. Okay, I, I want you to know that I've had to work through this truth myself. But this, this is the truth. When you hurt, God, is, God will work that hurt for your good. It might be a good that's much different than you were expecting, though. It might be the good that you're going to give up some stuff or release your grip on some stuff that is keeping you from knowing him more. That's God pushing you toward life. God's doing that in Jonah, and God does that in us. See, in Hebrews it says that Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith. This is a process that he doesn't, he, we don't just experience salvation and then God says, off you go, work it out yourself, I'll see you, see you in heaven. God is helping us perfect that. And so part of that is pulverizing our confidence in, in, in idols that are, that are powerless, taking away our reliance on ourselves. You know, if you're experiencing some brokenness in your marriage, maybe that's because God's trying to get you to understand grace better. Maybe he's getting you to look in the mirror and say, what, what are you contributing to this agitation? And again, I'm not trying to oversimplify, and I, I'm not trying to, to diminish what you're feeling, because that's, that's very real. Maybe if you're struggling raising a strong-willed child, this is God trying to help you understand his patience, and so that you can demonstrate that, that more. Maybe if you're struggling because you're not married, and you're wondering, is that ever going to happen for me? This is God trying to get you to look in the mirror and understand your completeness in Christ. Maybe you're going through some financial struggles. Maybe part of the point in that is God helping you to see that, that he is your provider. That you're going you're gonna to be okay in him. And the financial stuff 
will work out. I mean, I, I could go on, but what are you going through? What could God be saying to you that's at a deeper level than just what's going on on the surface? Because our idols, if it's a relationship, if it's finances, if it's health, if it's children, if it's whatever, idols are going to fail you. Okay, they're going to disappoint. And you're going to end up controlled by them and controlled by anger. And, and like, like Jonah is, controlled by his anger. So he's, he's sitting outside in, in the desert. So if you feel inadequate, if you feel unforgiven, if you feel unacceptable, then you're measuring yourself to a false idol, not to Christ. So rounding out this, this passage in Jonah, but God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? So now he's narrowing in the question that he asked earlier. Earlier he said, are, uh, do you have any right to be angry about what I did in Nineveh? Now he's saying, are, do you have any right to be angry about this plant? And Jonah says, it is, and I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? So, so God's pointing out the heart of, of, of Jonah. You cared about this plant, which is just a plant, and you didn't have anything to do with, because it was fulfilling you. But there are 120,000 people, and there are animals in the city that, that, that God himself created that Jonah is, is showing no concern, no compassion for. Seeing God more clearly produces compassion. Compassion for others, compassion for, 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 for yourself, wanting to see God's purposes lived out. Compassion is thinking about what is best for you less, and what is best for others more. Right now, the Ninevites were just obstacles for, for Jonah. So the people that God created, Jonah was happy to just say, wipe them off the earth, God. We don't need any more of them. So he, he didn't see the humanity of these people. He just saw them as, as obstacles. So as I wrap this up, the question to think about is, what are your obstacles to feeling fulfilled? Whether it's people or whether it's situation or whether it's objects or what, what, what obstacles do you have? And maybe that's the thing that God's trying to address because you're seeing yourself too much. You're missing opportunities for compassion. The pain that you might be feeling for your loss and your disappointment is really nothing compared to the, to the pain and the longing that God feels for you. And he is shaping your life and your circumstances to, to draw you more fully to him. And a lot has been written about why does this book end so awkwardly? Why does it end with that question of, of should I not have concern for these people and their animals, Jonah? And, and I think it's because Jonah is still wrestling. Like we all still wrestle. As we know God better, we go, we have to wrestle with things we're clinging to that, that are deeper than before. That it just doesn't all get resolved in one tight little knot and bow and, and, and Jonah walks off happy and like, oh, I get it now. That this, this is a process of chipping away little by little what is between you and God. 
So that's the story of Jonah. It's the story of identity and worth and significance and seeing God better. If you liked what I talked about, I send out news, like Lars said, uh, every week. I talk about discipleship. I talk about identity. I ask practical questions. I have a, I have a sign-up sheet in the, in the, in the foyer. Happy to, happy to put you on the list. Thanks for having me, and let's pray. God, thank you so much for... Thank you so much for the stubbornness of Jonah, that we get this opportunity to see ourselves in him, to see how he was operating for his, for his own needs and out of his own expectations. And God, I pray that, that, that every one of us in here would, would be able to see the obstacles that we have to seeing you more clearly. What are our hang-ups where we are trying to, to have ourselves be satisfied rather than being satisfied in Jesus? And I pray, God, that, that we would take and we would listen to what you are doing in our life and not be angry, but understand that you're doing it because you love us so much, that you would have us go without something right now so that we can experience the abundance and the joy of heaven. We thank you for that in the name of Jesus. Amen.